You are very welcome back to On The Record. Kieran Cuddy with you until one o'clock today. And Donald Fallon is with me in studio because, as you can hear in the background there, a lovely little bit of a pipe music, Seamus Ennis, the maestro, the master of the Edin Pipes. Next May is actually the centenary of his birth, so we're talking about him today. He was this unrivaled collector of songs. It's estimated that, as well as being able to play it, he preserved more than 2,000 songs and tunes forever with the Irish Folklore Commission. And he cycled the length and breadth of Ireland (laughs) in the process. Uh, He was a formative influence over the likes of Christy Moore and others. And he is undoubtedly one of, if not the greatest uh, Irish traditional music icon uh, and Donald Fallon from Hidden of, of the Community Blog should I say is here with the Hidden History of Seamus Ennis he, he is remarkable and uh, people I suppose take for granted to a degree do, uh, audio and and, and, uh, and how groundbreaking it was what a beautiful thing to hear on a Sunday morning those Illin pipes you know and, and as, as he said himself Misha on Far Kjol you know I am the music man and we take that for granted now that we can hear you know, music from from decades ago. We can hear people talk from decades past. And the ability to record sound, I think, that is one of the most significant kind of technological, intellectual developments of human history. So nowadays, you know, we can, we can travel off to remote islands and we can record men and women who are speaking, you know, these vastly vanishing languages and dialects and they'll be there forever to listen to. That oral history will mm. be there. And, you know, it's the tragedy of history that some of the greatest minds of Irish history, people like Oscar Wilde, you know, we have their written words but we'll, we'll never hear their voices. You know, they're gone. That's lost. But Seamus was all about preserving sound and in particular songs and tunes. And I think his contribution to building what you can only call a, a living archive of the Irish people is in some ways without precedent. And he's someone who looms very large over traditional music. I mean, his influence on people like the late Liam Ogo Flynn, who, who we only lost in recent times, yeah. uh, Christy Moore and others, is remarkable. Tell us a little bit then about his background, where he's from. He's from Finglas. Now, when you hear Finglas today, you think of this expansive, never-ending suburbia. Yeah, you know, on the from north, the estates. The estates on yeah. the north side of Dublin. He was born in May 1919, and you know, Seamus Ennis Road is out there today. Back then, to be honest, Finglas was essentially the countryside. I mean, there were there were cultures in Finglas. And that anyone listening to this from Finglas will be... <laughs> Amazed to hear that when they look out their windows at the never-ending urban sprawl, but it was it was rural, uh, and his entry into the world of, of music was really beautiful. I think that it's great when someone inherits inherits a love of music, and he got it from his father James, a civil servant. Uh, drawn towards the Illum pipes in, in mad circumstances. He was in a pawn shop in London and he saw these things and he went, God, they, they're very curious looking and he bought them and later discovered that they're actually made on Thomas Street in Dublin. And then he got down to the business of mastering them. They're bloody hard to play, yeah, aren't I mean, they? I know they say every instrument is hard to play and, and, and some instruments, they say, are easy to play and hard to master. Okay. You know, like the guitar, you know, the, the, the Ramones thing that if you learn three chords... Yeah, you learn can, three chords, you can play 90% of the songs. Yeah. <laughs> you can go off and write an album. <laughs> the Illum Pipes aren't like that. I mean, the Illum Pipes are just a, a, a notoriously difficult instrument to get down to business with. And they differ quite remarkably from, say, Scottish bagpipes in terms of sound, in terms of construction, and even the manner well, you, you in You know what they say about the bagpipes, the definition of a gentleman... Someone who can play the bagpipes but doesn't. <laughs> there you go. Well, walk down the Royal Mile in Edinburgh uh, and ask the bagpipers performing for the for the tourists there to play the Illum pipes, and they couldn't. And the thing about the Illum pipes is you basically always have to play them sitting down. Now, there's some exceptions to that, but they're a difficult uh, instrument to get to grips with. And there's a poetry to them, you know, but that's only if you can master them. Uh, and he learned them from his dad beginning at the age of 13 and also went to a Gwail school, which, I mean, today is quite common, mm. especially in, in, in new expansive suburbia. Gwail schools are very much on trend, I think. But to go to a Gwail school in, in the days of, of Seamus Ennis as a young lad was, was quite unique. So he's immersed really all around them in Irish cultural 
you know, language and, and, and society. So tell us then, age 13 he starts this, 10 years later he gets involved with the Folklore I, Commission. He goes on an amazing journey, 1943, and think about that time for a minute, 1943 is the emergency, people are rationing food in Ireland, it's a very hard time, we're not involved in the war, but you know, in terms of, in terms of your pocket, it feels like you're involved in the war, times are really tough. And he goes on this mad journey, he's given, quote, pen, paper and pushbike, and the Irish Folklore Commission basically entrusts this young fingless gale with the task of going around the country, recording and documenting the oral and music traditions of rural Ireland. So, I mean, this guy is, you know, a young man from Finglas on a bicycle, more concerned with songs from hundreds of years ago than what's happening on the continent. And he goes everywhere. He goes Cushfarraga, the Aran Islands and Karna, and he's capturing things that are starting to die. You know, the Shan Nose singers and the like. I mean, we have TG4 today where they, we see Shan Nose performers uh, on, on television regularly. But in the 40s, there was a belief that that was dying. And he has these great diaries from travelling around the country. They were published a few years ago, going to the well for water. And they're great because some of it's just like the nightmare of trying to repair a pair of shoes. You're cycling half the way, half the length and breadth of the country with one pair of shoes and a bicycle. If your bicycle comes apart in the Aran Islands, you're in a degree of trouble. So this is all done really for for the love, for the gras, uh, off the tradition and yeah, it, it'd want to be he wasn't paid a fortune <laughs> he was paid £3 a week uh, by the Folklore Commission which he didn't always get it was somewhat irregular so £3 a week to go across the country to get soaking wet on your bicycle recording all of this and you know it was a different time I mean the rural communities that he went to were sometimes very insular places. I mean, this guy cuts a funny shape. There's one great account of him, long in the leg, famished looking, thin-shouldered and nervous. But I think in time, he just won the, he won the trust of people. And once you get past the front door of a house in a community, I think, then people come down and go, who's this guy? I've got a song, I've got a song, I've got a tune. And he stayed on the road for years. I mean, he went out on the bicycle in 1942 and he was still out on the same bicycle in 1947. I mean, that is... That's an awful lot of cycling. Yeah, it is. It reminds me, I wonder how much of the bike was replaced. It's like that thing of trigger in Only Fools and Horses. You know, he's the same broom. He's replaced the handle four times and the head five times, but it's the same broom. Um, he made some amazing discoveries. You know, this wasn't uh, just kind of the local lad up the road who can play the fiddle. I mean, like the, the people some like, of the best known names up, we know. The, the first recordings of Willie Clancy, for example, uh, are done by are, are done by Seamus and Willie Clancy became a household name I mean on both sides of the Atlantic the Clancy brothers are basically the Beatles of Irish traditional music they went on late night American television when there wasn't late night television at home I mean they were massive uh, he worked with RTE and the BBC the great show on BBC called As I Roved Out and it was a great time to be doing this because the 50s and the 60s there's a kind of folk revival that's happening in Britain and we talked about that before on this slot and it's really it's young people you know it's it's like the the long-haired kind of, kind of hippie youth that get into folk music in a big way in the 60s and he's there during that and he meets all these young up-and-comers Christy Moore you know Christy remembers I first met Seamus Ennis in 1968 I was living in Yorkshire and he stayed with me for a week while he played some folk clubs Christy Moore basically puts this guy up and drives him around Northern England going to all these folk clubs for his gigs so he's a massive influence on, on Christy Moore and, and Christy later wrote a song dedicated to his memory called Easter Snow and he remembers going to see Seamus the end of his life out in the Knoll North County Dublin you know rural Dublin living in a, a mobile home he gazed at the embers in reflection called up lost versus again I mean Christy I, I, really carried Seamus with him he ventured a lot further than the UK yeah I mean he won the admiration of young people by going wherever they were you know and playing to audiences that you might look at and go oh I don't know you know I don't know if they're my people he went to the New Point Folk Festival uh, in the US I mean just the bang of weed off that crowd, you know, these kind of long-haired hippies, peace activists and the like. Uh, and there he is, you know. And now if you're a, a, a hippie kid at the New Point Folk Festival in America, you've never seen 
dealing pipes. Never mind hair dealing pipes. And this, you know, lanky man from Finglas in North County Dublin is there playing these things before you. And he plays some of the earliest outdoor festivals in Ireland as well. Sometimes you'd have a, a traditional band and a new wave band. And in the middle you'd have Seamus Ennis, you know, walking out and just sitting there on stage and playing these things. So that was brave, you know, to, to throw yourself in front of young audiences. They were more interested in guitar rock than they were in Irish traditional music. So if you're a young person, a young person like, say, Liam O'Flynn, this guy, I think, was the maestro and he, he gave you a belief that this was still relevant. This wasn't history. This was something you could do today. He founded the Peepery Illin, uh, which was like the Pipers Club, along with Brendan Bratnock and others, and really just promoted the pipes as something that had to remain. Now, kind of, there's an inevitability about his end, you know, for pioneers in the arts <sighs> and music of this era, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, people like this should be remembered to a greater extent than they are. And he died in relative obscurity and poverty uh, in a mobile house in North County Dublin, which he called Easter Snow. And uh, I mean, he battled a drink at various points. And unfortunately, that goes hand in glove with the music scene. Christy Moore, very open about his battles there too. I mean, if you're moving around the folk clubs and the trad scene, drink was always there. And at the time of his death in 82, very beautifully, he handed the pipes down to Liam Ogo Flynn. So he'd got them from his dad and they were handed on again. And that kind of, that tradition, that's a very, very powerful thing. And Liam Ogue recorded a really beautiful CD with, with Seamus Heaney called The Poet and the Piper. It's my favourite CD. Uh, and, you know, he found the magic in the pipes, I think Liam did, just like Seamus Ennis had done before him. Uh, and look, I suppose after his death, it'd be better if they remembered him while he was there. <laughs> yeah. But there, there is a statue that's, now. That's what happens, isn't it? You know, yeah. people die and then you go, oh, he was brilliant. We should do something for him now. But they put a statue of him out at the Knoll and it's really nice. He can sit beside him. He's there on the wall. He's playing his pipes. And it's a really quiet place of reflection. And beside it is the Seamus Ennis Centre and they put on brilliant musical nights there, all kinds of music you can imagine, spoken word nights and the like. So, you know, he lives on today. Uh, and Tony McMahon is a brilliant traditional music in his own right. I mean, what he said about him is just so stunningly beautiful. He said, he made me realise music is magic and a spiritual experience. It cannot be taught in any university. It is beyond that. All right. Thank you, Donald. Thank you for that. Another Hidden Histories. Uh, that's our lot for today. Off the Ball, as always, is up next. My thanks to Peter Malloy, who is on sound. Uh, production team, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan. Um, I will be here tomorrow morning from seven with... Uh, Shane Coleman standing in for Paul Williams on News Talk Breakfast. Uh, we were talking about Seamus Ennis. We played a little bit at the start. It seems cruel to deny you hearing a bit more of it. Here's the great man himself, the maestro. Yeah.